and welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. Our first episode with the offseason in full swing. We both needed to recharge the batteries a little bit over the last two weeks. But we're back at least for one week. I go on vacation next week, so it'll be a little bit after this one. But in the meantime, we have a lot to talk about since the season has ended. UConn's announced a couple of games on their non-conference schedule. Then the rest of it has come out, according to Carl Adamek of the Journal Inquirer, the man who has all the schedule news. <laughs> UConn got its latest commitment. Dorka Juhas and Lou Lopez and Chal both got taken in the draft. And we will pop this at the end so that if you you've don't want to listen to it, it's fine. But Megan and I did not make back-to-back drives from Dallas to Houston and see the men win the national championship, not to talk about it on this podcast. So we will have a UConn men's basketball segment if that interests you. And if it doesn't, you can click off by that point. So we will start, though, with next season's schedule. Today, being Tuesday, UConn announced that it is going to host Ball State, a game that's been rumored for a bit in one way or another. I think Nika might have even have been a freshman or maybe she was a sophomore by the time her sister committed to Illinois originally. And I'll I'll have to ask her about the details again, because I think Nika might have been the one that brought it up to Gino that instead of a homecoming game, it's a little harder to do it when your players from Croatia they could play her sister. And originally it would have been Illinois. Illinois fired their coach. Hannah Mule, Nika's younger sister, ended up at Ball State. And UConn will host the Cardinals on December 6th. Hannah's going to be a sophomore, also a guard. She played in 32 games last year, only averaged 1.2 points in 8.9 minutes. She could make a jump, but seems like it'll be a one-off matchup as part of UConn's homecoming games The other one that is confirmed is going to be Minnesota for Paige Beckers on November 19th. And then once again, Carl Adamek, who else reported that UConn is working on getting a game in Canada, but it's still a work in progress. It was supposed to be against Pitt. Pitt fired their coach. We don't know what that means, but that's according to Carl. But yeah, starting with Ball State. Certainly not a matchup that has any excitement when you look at the opponent, but the mule versus mule battle is going to be fun because I actually know very little about Nika's sister, but I'm very interested to see what it would be like to have those two going up against each other. Yeah, I think this is just like a really fun way to do her homecoming game because you can't really go to Croatia to play. I mean, I guess you can because South Carolina and um, Notre Dame just announced they're playing it their season opener in Paris. So maybe in the future they can go to Croatia, but they're not going to Croatia. So this is a really fun way to do a homecoming game. And I think probably really special for Nika's family too, assuming that they're able to, to make the trip over and see their daughters play against each other. They actually can go to Croatia and they will. Yes. This summer. (laughs) I don't know if it's, it hasn't been officially announced, but it's been an open secret for a little while now that UConn's taking a summer tour of Europe it's they go to Zagreb, Croatia, where Nika Mule's from. They go to Italy. There is a third country in there that I'm blanking on. I don't have it in front of me, and it hasn't been announced. But it, I'm pretty sure it's a three country tour. Go to Nika's home country. Go to Gino's home country, 
I think they're going to play some games. I remember they went to, it must've been Italy back in 2016 or 17 as well, that they played games and part of them were like live streamed. So I'm really hoping that's a thing again. I would pay to watch these games live streamed. Conversely, I'd also be terrified to watch these games live streamed based on the way that the last two years have gone. So pretty cool that Nico Mule gets both a homecoming and whatever you want to call this matchup with Ball State. Yeah, a really special way to think to to start off her senior year. And if you're going to do a foreign trip catered around one player, I mean, come on, it's got to be Nika. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I did overhear her telling someone that in the summers, the grub's a little quiet because everyone's at the beaches. So she was a little unsure of what they were going to do. But I mean, I can't imagine Nika's going to have a hard time showing people around the places that she grew up. That that's probably would be cooler to the players and the team than like, oh, this is the famous. Oh, man, I, I don't know anything about zagreb croatia but like this is the famous building in croatia this is our famous this that like i think if nika was like oh yeah this is where i went to elementary school or whatever or like school the equivalent in croatia this is where i played basketball this is like my club i think that would be this was my favorite place to go eat or my favorite like coffee shop whatever it is man that would be a lot more fun than whatever the sites are around Zagreb. Agreed. I think it feels like Nika's like the perfect player to have that situation for too. She's probably going to really enjoy getting to show all of that. There is a museum of broken relationships in Zagreb. Actually really curious about that now. That is incredibly it, random. <laughs> it displays personal objects from former lovers along with brief synopses. If you're interested, right. it costs seven dollars and fifty or sorry, seven dollars and sixty nine cents to get in. If you're interested, when you're in Zagreb, there is a clock tower. No, that's just a tower. There's a cathedral, a few churches. There's a museum of naive art. It seems like there's plenty of things to do in Zagreb. I was not trying to knock it earlier. I just truly didn't know. But either way, that's. That sounds like it's going to be a fun trip and it feels like the right type of team to do it because you got a lot of the same core, but you also got a lot of players coming in. And after everything they've been through, it would be nice to get away from stores a little bit and hopefully have some fun over in Europe. Yeah, I think this group after the last two years definitely deserves some some summer in Europe fun. Maybe that's what they need to break the voodoo curse they need to literally leave the country (laughs) yeah (laughs) so there's the ball state game that's december 6th and then the team also announced that it is going to play in the cayman islands classic the first ever women's edition of the tournament november 24th and 25th that's the weekend after thanksgiving right around the time that all of these early season tournaments happen They're going to take place in Georgetown on Grand Cayman Island. It is quite a field. It's got reigning national champions, LSU. That is, I'm, I'm not discussing that. I'm not, we're not (laughs) getting into that. that. (laughs) We're going to ignore everything that has happened with LSU this past year. And uh, pretend it never did. It's also got Virginia tech who also made the final four out of UConn's region. UCLA, 
then a bunch of much less exciting teams in Kansas, Niagara, Tulane, and Virginia. Virginia is mildly interesting. They were an okay team this past year. They do have Mir McLean. I don't know if she would be healthy by that point. She had a pretty nasty knee injury in the second half of the year. So I think it would be a little bit of a stretch for her to be back by then, but she'll at least be there. You'd think. And it seems like she still has a pretty good relationship with a lot of the players on the team. You still see them in each other's Instagram comments. I don't, I think it was Carl that reported that it's probably not going to be LSU or Virginia tech that UConn plays, which means UCLA and Virginia would be the bigger opponents of, Assuming they're in the same region, I can't imagine they're sending UConn to the Cayman Islands or UConn would agree to play in the Cayman Islands in a bracket that includes Kansas, Niagara, and Tulane. So a little bit disappointing that it's not LSU and Virginia Tech either or both, but UCLA, especially with the way that UCLA's roster has come about these last couple of weeks, which Megan can certainly speak on in a second, is still a pretty good consolation. And it's never bad to be in the Caribbean either. Yeah, I think, I mean, really any one of those three teams in LSU, Virginia Tech, and, and UCLA would make a really strong opponent for uh, UConn to play in this. And honestly, UCLA right now, I think, obviously things are going to change a lot in the next few weeks with the transfer portal. But right now, UCLA might be one of the the stronger options of those those three to play, I think. They got Charisma Osborne back. Uh, she decided not to go to the WNBA draft, play her fifth season at UCLA. So that was really huge news for for them. They had that huge freshman class that did a really good job, I thought, this season um, in, in playing and kind of getting to things together, especially down the stretch. They lost in the Sweet 16 to South Carolina, but looked pretty good to round out the season. And now they added Stanford transfer, who was the number one recruit in last year's class. Lauren Betts today. So I think this UCLA team is a really, really good next year. Probably, I don't know that they're necessarily favorites to win the Pac-12. I would say they're favorites to win the Pac-12 over Utah. Um, and then I think a team that's probably in the Final Four conversation for sure next year. They've got the pieces, and it feels like it's been a little bit of a build too. They've <laughs> had that feeling of a team that has been growing and developing. And then you get Charisma Osborne back. And then you get someone like Lauren Betts, who if she can play like a number one recruit at UCLA, I have no idea what happened at Stanford, but you've got a team. Yeah. It's got a lot of pieces, especially with a lot of these big powerhouse. Well, with South Carolina down and then a bunch of other teams that aren't on a clear plane above. Yeah, and I think we saw kind of down the stretch of the regular season for Stanford, I thought Lauren Betts started to be a kind of a bigger contributor and was was looking like she might factor into kind of their postseason run. And then obviously Stanford didn't have quite the the postseason run anyone expected. They lost in their second game of the Pac-12 tournament and their second game of the NCAA tournament, and she didn't really play much in those games. But I think if we see some of what we saw from Lauren Betts down the stretch of the regular season at UCLA, especially I think UCLA, their biggest question before adding Betts was probably the who's going to kind of step up for them in the post. They have Emily Bessoir, who's been really good, but they really needed, I think, a, a more of a force in the lane there, and they add that with Betts. So I think they've they've got potential to, like you said, kind of be a part of that group that there's, there's really 
I mean, I think we'll talk about it eventually, how like UConn with the talent separates themselves as a, as a top team next year. But I think the next year is kind of a large group. Yeah, I even think it's hard to put UConn outside of that group just because right. I think we're all scarred by the last yeah. couple of years. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is what it could look like. But should we maybe start at like what the 50th percentile might look like? Right. Because that's what we've been dealing with the last couple of years. Yeah, I agree. If UConn is healthy and everything looks the way it should, they're going to be number one and it's going to be pretty comfortably a number one. And I think the fact that even Gino thinks that Gino went on quite a media tour down at the final four, <laughs> the Houston final four for the men. And I thought the most notable quotes that he's had that he had there were first saying that next year he thinks they'll have the best chance to win a national championship since 2016, as long as they stay healthy and quote, avoid some of the pitfalls unquote that they've had the last couple of years. Then also said that he would love nothing more than to coach page Beckers for an entire season. That's what he wants to do next season, which is, very fair, but obviously it's not hard to look at next year's team and be like, oh yeah, that could be a really, really special group. We know how good Paige Beckers is. We got a glimpse of how good AZ Fudd can be. We saw for most of the season how good Aaliyah Edwards is. And then if Caroline Ducharme can stop taking shots to the head every five seconds, and if Aubrey Griffin can look like the player that she did for a lot of last year, Right there, you have five really good players. Well, was that four or was that five? Nika Mule, too. Nika Mule just casually yeah. shattered the assist record. Here's a stat for you. So between Nika Mule in first place with 384, sorry, 284 assists, that is 53 more than second place. Sue Bird with 231, which she set no one and no two. From second place, to 10th place the difference is 41 assists <laughs> so that is how much further nika mule is than everybody else on the assist list two of the three best single game assists records are by nika mule this season so that's how good she was last year you have her coming back She's not going to put up those numbers, those assist numbers next year. Not with Paige Becker's back. Not with. She's going to play fewer minutes just because they needed her to be playing 36 minutes a game. She's not going to have to do that next year, assuming all goes well. And KK Arnold's coming in. She's going to get some time at the point because she is really, really good. And then Ashlyn Shade, Caden Samuels should get time in the backcourt. We'll hopefully finally get to see what Ice Brady can do see how Jana L. Alfie comes along. Jana? Jana. Jana L. Alfie comes yeah. along. Hopefully another year of development for Ayanna Patterson will do her well because we've seen just how good she can be when she's at the top of her game. They got a lot of pieces. They got a lot of depth. And they have a lot of, you know, it all fits together well. It's a really well-constructed roster. It's not just collecting talent, trying to get as many good players as you can. It's high-end talent. It's a good mix of, you know, those role t role players, middle tier. And on paper, you have some good depth, too, in case, you know, normal injuries hit. 
someone twists an ankle and they miss two games, like Dorka this past year against DePaul. Someone, you know, takes a knock and they sit out a game or they miss a couple quarters and they come back in. Someone gets sick and isn't feeling 100%. They don't have to play as many minutes because they're not forced to. So it looks like they'll have good depth, assuming everything goes the way that it should. But the fact that Gino's optimistic in it too, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I agree. I think when you look at it on paper, it's pretty easy to see why he would be optimistic and why this team should have a leg up on the rest of the country, just the way things look. And like you mentioned, South Carolina just graduated, you know, their entire starting lineup and one of their best bench players. That's, that's a big leap to overcome. So I think it's a good year for UConn, assuming they can stay healthy, which is obviously like the big if after the last two seasons. Yeah. My question is when are we ever going to be able to breathe again? (laughs) How many years out are we going to have to be where, going into the year we don't have to say yeah that that's if everything goes right and they stay healthy without saying assuming that their best player doesn't tear their acl in august and completely upends the year and then their second best player who looked like they were going to be national player of the year gets hurt and misses essentially the next two months and every time a player hits a floor it's more of a just ooh that looked like it hurt instead of oh my god how many things just exploded inside your body and how long are you going to be out how long lasting is this trauma that we have experienced the last two years going to extend? Or is it just something that we're going to live with now and we will never talk about this program or this team the same way? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think it's going to take me a while to recover. Every time I see an email from Anna, I still like hold my breath that it's not something wrong. and It's just like some schedule news like it was today. Sometimes it's so... For those of you who don't know, Anna Labonte is the SID sports information director. She's the easiest way I can describe it is like the PR person. So when there's news, she's the one that emails it out. She's the one that sets up availabilities when we can talk with Gino, everything like that. So yeah, when, when we get news, when Paige Beckers tore her ACL, we got that news because Anna sent out an email. So there have just been times too, where before, regular season game she sends out just a quick little email you know game time all the stuff here the game notes here's the preview just things you might need for the game and it'll be like six or seven the night before game i'm finishing up a preview finishing up something else and then i see an email from anna and i only see her name and there's that moment of panic that seizes you and you just see that it's a preview but yeah yeah, (laughs) that that is also just anxiety inducing getting those emails even though like today it's schedule news it's good news i don't know if that'll be unbroken ever yeah exactly i just assume that it's going to be something horrible that that's how it has felt for the last two years (laughs) and nothing nothing could ever be well i'm not trying to tempt fate but the page acl one that was i finished i was on vacation well pseudo vacation i was away not home and i just finished a hike and i pulled out my phone and my brain couldn't even process what happened like everything kind of went blurry for a second and i i I didn't understand like no 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 page didn't just tear pages page didn't tear ac what are you talking about there's no way 
Yeah, I think yeah. it. I, I think it's probably just a piece of us now. Yeah, I have a bad habit of like opening emails while I'm on work calls if I'm not like fully invested in my day job calls, and I think <laughs> that was one of those ones where I opened it during a call and I had no idea what happened for the rest of that call because you're just too busy trying to process what happened in the email. I'm still trying to process it. Yeah, <laughs> the season's over. I still can't really process it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, just so everyone is aware, I am going on vacation next week, and I will be out of cell service for a lot of it. And if you've listened long enough, or if you follow me on Twitter, you just know me well enough. You know that the news always happens when I am on vacation or when I am unavailable. It can't happen when I'm sitting at my computer doing something else. He says that happened today. I was perfectly prepared for the Ball State stuff. But again, I was on a hike for the page thing This is not women's basketball related, but as Megan and I started to make our way down to Houston from Dallas for the championship game, there were like four different hockey news things that happened. (laughs) I hadn't had to deal with hockey news for like two weeks. And the one day that everything happens, I'm in the car for four hours and having to write everything on my phone. So yeah, I don't, this is. I don't want people to take this literally, but you kind of should that expect (laughs) news to happen next week because I'm not going to be available and things always happen. I was on the Cape a couple years ago and they announced like two new series in that. No, I was on the Cape for three days and two new series got announced (laughs) in that span of three days. So news always happens when I'm away. That's the moral of the story. So good, bad, neutral, prepare for it next week. (laughs) <laughs> we will probably know about Ali Edwards' homecoming game next week because that just seems to be how things go. Oh, there's no doubt in my mind. They're going to finally <laughs> announce the Louisville series, which I guess we should probably get back to the conversation of the schedule <laughs> because Carl reported the rest of the schedule. The only ones that we didn't know, I'll go through the ones that we didn't know and then the full schedule after, but they're going to finish up a series that I didn't know they still had to finish with Dayton, who's coached by former Husky Tamika Williams, now Tamika Williams Jeter. They are not good. That'll be a home game. Don't expect it to be anything particularly close. That's probably the season opener, I guess, unless they... Yep. Yeah. (laughs) That has big vibes of the season opener. It's because we know it's not going to be Ball State. It's not going to be Maryland. It's not going to be Notre Dame. Not many other options there. Right. Then he also reported a four-year series with Louisville. And I should say, it's not just... He said in his story that Walls told him and UConn confirmed. So as if Carl's word wasn't enough, this is pretty locked in. A four-year series starting with UConn, starting in Connecticut next year. And then... Confirmed it. Courtney Banghart talked about it last August, but UNC is going to come to Mohegan Sun. The date is not set for that, but that's usually like December ish, sometimes right before Christmas, sometimes a little bit earlier. But that means the entire non conference schedule minus one game, Aaliyah Edwards' homecoming, will be at home. Maryland, Notre Dame, Ball State, and Dayton. UNC at Mohegan, which we all know is a pseudo-UConn home game, and Louisville. Then on the road, it'll be NC State, South Carolina, Texas, Minnesota for Paige Becker's homecoming. 
then possibly a game up in Canada. I'd have to imagine it would be Toronto because that's the area of Canada that Aaliyah Edwards is from. I don't think it makes sense to have a game in Nova Scotia for Aaliyah Edwards. That doesn't really benefit her. And then whoever they play in those two games in the Cayman Islands Classic. So I don't think it'll necessarily be the best non-conference schedule in the country like this year's was, but it's got a pretty good mix of high-end opponents, a good middle class, and not too many total stragglers. There's Dayton. I don't know what NC State is going to look like with the transfers and the departures they've had the last couple of years, but Westmore is still a good coach. I guess there's that. We don't know who they could potentially play up in Canada. If it's it was Duquesne for Kia Nurse's homecoming, that wouldn't be particularly competitive. Pitt wouldn't be particularly competitive. But I think it's a good mix. It's a good schedule, and every year is not going to be the best schedule in the country, and it shouldn't be. So I like it. I think it's a good balance of home and away. Overall, thumbs up for me. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a it's a good mix of teams. I think when you look at the the Cayman Islands classic field, like you said, probably UCLA, but regardless of it's UCLA, Virginia Tech, or LSU, whatever team you end up playing of that that group is probably going to be a team that's in kind of that, you know, final four championship contender type team tier. You can say the same thing about Notre Dame next year, which which UConn will have at home and then South Carolina, I wouldn't necessarily say they're there right now, but I think, you know, especially if they play later in the season, that's probably going to be a pretty good team um, in the mix. And then Texas, too, I think could be really good. And then some of these other teams that, you know, have been really good the last couple of years probably have some more question marks. Maryland kind of, you know, graduated a lot of key pieces this year. So, kind of hard to say what they'll look like right now same thing with louisville with Haley van lith transferring it sounds like likely to lsu so that's interesting but um they're gonna look different but even without van lith they just added jada curry from cal and kiki jefferson from jmu so they already have started to reload their nc state like you said i don't i don't even know that they can field a team right now but i'm sure they'll <laughs> figure it out so it, it's a good mix of kind of different tiers of teams. And I think we'll get to see a lot of different looks in the non-conference schedule. It's going to be quite a shock for Maryland going from getting to play a UConn team that had to start Enish Betancourt out of necessity <laughs> to a UConn team. That's ideally going to have Paige Beckers and AZ Fudd together in the backcourt. Yeah. Very different than the team that went to Maryland this year. And arguably should have beaten Maryland. Yeah, <laughs> wildly enough. <laughs> yeah, I think the only team that isn't on the schedule that really stands out to me is Tennessee because that series ended this past year. It's not like the games have been super competitive. They've been good enough that I think it would have been worth keeping. I wonder if maybe it's just a matter of UConn had a lot of game had has a lot of homecoming games this year. You got three that you're trying to knock off that fills up the schedule. And then you already have some series carrying over from last year. You got to finish up Dayton. Apparently I wonder if maybe it's a numbers thing. Cause Gino's really changed his tune when it's come to Tennessee. At first he was saying the only reason the game is happening is because the proceeds go to charity. As far as I know, it's no longer a charity game. It's just a typical series. And 
he's been very high on Kelly Harper. He said really nice things about her. He's talked about how it's one of the best non-conference games you can still put on your schedule. He said he still really likes going down to Knoxville because of all the memories, good and bad, that come back to him. I'm curious if it's a numbers thing or I don't think Tennessee is going to be particularly good next year. Losing Jordan Horston, as far as I know, they still don't have a freshman coming in. They I still think they have the transfer, but yeah, they have the transfer portal. But I don't know if that would be an overly competitive game. Is kind of what I'm saying, and I don't know if that's the best thing for the series when Tennessee's obviously still trying to get back into that upper tier. UConn looks like it's going to be really good. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to have a year, a year two hiatus, just let Tennessee grow on its own. Yeah, you let let UConn do its thing. But I would hope that it doesn't last, what was it, 13 years without these two teams playing. And I don't think it will, but hopefully it's back sooner than later. Yeah, I agree. I think it would be good to get back on the schedule. I think Tennessee could be decent next year, though. This might be a hot take, but it might be better than South Carolina in the SEC. South Carolina might be the third-best team in the SEC next year, I think. They've got Rakia Jackson back. Tamara Key is supposed to play after she was out this year. They already added Destiny Wells out of Belmont, who's a really good player, and the transfer portal. I think they're going to be an interesting team next year. Yeah, but saying they're better than South Carolina isn't really that high of a bar. Yeah. The team That's that couldn't shoot the ball and had no offense yeah. is losing their best offensive player and their best rebounder yeah. and their second and third best offensive players. Uh, I can't see how that one would go poorly. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I put out an article on like my subtech today about title contenders that for next year and did not include South Carolina for obvious reasons, but I already got some flack for that. I'm like, they graduated their entire starting lineup. And one of their best bench players. Like, I don't know what anyone on that team outside of Raven Johnson and Camilla Cardoso are going to contribute next year. Right. It's not like they've been crushing it on the recruiting trail. It's not like they could. Again, the portal is the great equalizer, as we unfortunately just saw in this past tournament with the national champion. <laughs> so it is very easy to turn around a bad program into a legit team, let alone a very good program with a. Uh, despite her many flaws, a really good coach um, at the helm. So yeah, I'm not counting out South Carolina, but they have a million question marks that are nowhere near being answered right now. Right, exactly. Um, And I don't know, as much as like the portal is very much the great like equalizer, I don't know that there is a player in the portal or enough players in the portal to, to really like step South Carolina to that next level right now, unless they somehow got like any Samoro and Haley Van Lith to commit there. Like that's <laughs> the only way I see it being like <laughs> that being the case. And I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, you stole it from me. I was literally going to say, well, they could get Haley Van Lith and Anisa Moro. Yeah. <laughs> Although Anisa Moro in that front court would be a choice. Yeah, she I don't. Feels, she feels like I... someone who needs to stand on her own a little bit. Yeah, I agree. I don't know that that's a great fit. She hasn't really said. I thought that her like little video she put out today this afternoon was going to be like her top three that she says she's announcing, but she still hasn't actually announced her top three. So it'll be interesting to see where she ends up. But I agree. I don't see South Carolina being a great fit. Is it like the classic recruiting thing where it's like, this guy is going to 
announce his top. This guy announced that he's going to announce his top three in two weeks. So stay tuned for that. Like, yeah, yeah she right. basically said, like, I'm going to announce it soon and then put out this video today. And it's like a bunch of people saying like where they want her to go. But it doesn't actually tell you anything about what her top three is. So I don't I don't know. South Carolina was mentioned a lot in it, so that might be one of them. Notre Dame was also mentioned a lot, which I actually think would be a good fit, but Oh, uh, that would be terrifying. Yeah, I think she'd be really good at Notre Dame. Um, but yeah, it'll be be interesting to see when she puts out that top three. I have a yeah. feeling that Haley Bamleth is going to LSU though. I I'm just never gonna comment on that school again. Sorry. <laughs> no comments, good or bad. We're we're just not going to say anything because clearly that saying anything is a poor decision. Yeah, unfortunately, I think they're here to stay at least for the next couple of years. Yeah, very unfortunate. We I have made friends with LSU though. We're we're cool. <laughs> we're cool now. That's the, I guess, bright side. It's not very bright, <laughs> but I did get a good laugh out of. I went to go look at their roster today for something and. Got big, yeah, that LSU across the top of the page. <laughs> oh, now I need to go look at that. <laughs> oh, Haley Van Lith is visiting LSU. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. I think Baylor was like her when Kim was at Baylor. It was her, like it was between that and Louisville for her oh, too. Wow, it kind of feels like, and, and she would fit well in their system. I think it, it all kind of makes sense. Plus, like, why else are you leaving Louisville other than if you want to go somewhere where you could win? Right. There's a list of, like, five schools that it would make sense for her to go to. Right. If that. Yeah, yeah I see it. It's it's not great. I, I gave LSU their tagline for the rest of ever. <laughs> Anyways, back to UConn. They have a new commit. 2024 guard Morgan Shelley. I would like to point out that I don't know how I, this is not Ali Zabel level. I called it. Well, I don't know if I really called that. I just said she was going to be really good, but I've been on Morgan Shelley since the summer. I uh, heard that UConn was interested in her out at the tournament of champions, followed her on Twitter. And now when I follow just a random recruit that I think UConn might have interest in and they follow me back, we are now three for three on that player committing to UConn. It's Isabel, Morgan Shelley, and Kellis Fisher, the 2025 commit. So I think the moral of that story is I need to start following more players on Twitter <laughs> and using that as a method of figuring out who UConn's future commits are. But a 6-2 guard plays at Archbishop Midi where legendary coach Sue Phillips Runs the program. Sue Phillips is a underage national team coach. Coached the U-17 national team this past season at the U-17 World Cup in Hungary, which U.S. won gold, a team that Morgan Shelley was on. She plays point guard for Midi, but she can also slide over and play the two. I imagine that UConn's going to use her as a big guard a la Katie Lou Samuelson is the best example always, but Caroline Ducharme more contemporary one so many things about her make her such a classic yukon commit so she visited yukon for the south carolina game she was behind the bench and turns out she committed to yukon that weekend 
then didn't tell the world, told, she said, her high school coach, her AAU coach, the coaching staff, and her family that she committed to UConn. But since she was in the midst of her high school season, she didn't want to draw attention away from that. She wanted to focus on the end of her season. Then March Madness started. She didn't want to take away attention from March Madness, so she waited until everything was over. Sat on that news for two months. Imagine committing to UConn and not telling anyone for two months. That is... I cannot think of anything more UConn than that. And then on top of that, she said that she just, all she cares is about is winning. She just wants to win. She'll do whatever it takes to win. Lots of UConn vibes in there. Yeah. I think when you, you said that story about how she didn't tell anyone for three months or whatever it was, the, the first thought in my head was like, that's quite the, the UConn player way to commit and not make a fanfare about it. It's exactly what Gina looks for. Right, not that UConn was going to be in on Anissa Moro to begin with for any myriad of reasons, but I think putting out a video saying you're going to announce your uh, your top three soon and then having a bunch of people guess in that video where you're going to go, I think that would be like an instant disqualifier for yeah. UConn. <laughs> exactly. Not that I expected UConn to be in the mix for her anyway, but agreed. <laughs> and the same goes... I, I won't put her on blast, but there's a 2025 recruit that I saw out in Chicago last summer. Unbelievable player. And I went to her Twitter and it was like all caps tweets, like retweets everything that comes up about her, like talks in the third person. And I was like, oh, there's zero chance you are coming to UConn. You are going to be a great <laughs> player for some program and it will not be at UConn. Yeah, no, that's that's not the typical UConn recruit. <laughs> now but getting a good idea of what this 2024 class looks like got two guards in now in zabel and shelly zabel obviously a big scoring guard shelly i don't know exactly what her role would be at uconn but i think she's just one of those versatile bigs that uconn's gonna try and have them develop an inside game you know I think they'd like to do that with Caroline Ducharme when she's not suffering 50 head injuries in a season and having to put ice on when she's on the bench and everything that she went through this season. It's probably not a great idea for her to develop an inside game, but (laughs) just a very classic UConn recruit. I think you can never tell with a recruit going in if they're going to be a fit or not, especially I've never seen her play live, but she at least seems to have the mindset and the attitude and the work ethic to be in the right spot for it to work out at UConn. Yeah, definitely. All right. So moving on from future Huskies to past Huskies, the WNBA draft came and went. We got a nice little surprise early in the draft with the fifth overall pick, the Dallas wings, picked Lou Lopez Seneschal and really caps off an incredible year for her a year ago from the draft. She was still at Fairfield. She was still over two weeks away from committing to UConn. The wings CEO and president Greg Bibb said that she was on at least the wings radar. Can't speak for other WNBA teams of how much she was on theirs, but clearly in some degree on professional radars but not as a top five pick probably not as a first round pick goes to UConn 
We're not even sure if she's going to play. We're not even sure what her role is going to be. Turns out she's going to be UConn's leading scorer, essentially, from the backcourt. Going to carry the offense for long stretches of the season. Going to be an all-biggies first-team player. Going to be the team's really only bright spot in a Sweet 16 loss to Ohio State. And then gets taken fifth overall. And this is not a disrespect to Haley Jones, but just the fact that she was taken above Haley Jones, a number one overall recruit, a national champion, someone who I think is going to be a very good pro. The fact that she was taken above Haley Jones is just mind boggling considering the path that she's taken to this point. Yeah, agreed. I think, and I think Atlanta got one steals of the draft and getting Haley Jones at six for her to be available at six, not just because she went, behind Lou but just in general her going at six was a little crazy to me but yeah I mean for Lou that's an incredible way to end up the year I think if you she had come out out of Fairfield she might have gotten drafted by probably you know late second round third round type pick and then to go fifth overall went out for being a lottery pick in this draft is just an incredible and I think a good fit for her in Dallas too it's a relatively young roster but I think the one thing they really needed to get out of this draft was perimeter shooting and they've they've obviously got that in in her as a player and I think you know you've got Rike Gubali on that squeak team that's gonna score a lot in the backcourt but there's a lot of question marks in their backcourt beyond that and I think she's got a really good shot at making a roster and and being able to make an impact in her first season there yeah there's two things I like about this landing spot first I just cannot imagine a team cutting a number five overall pick. Right. I know first round isn't guaranteed, but top five, that feels pretty secure. Generally, I would say anyone ending up in Dallas is not a good thing considering the state of that franchise, but I think she's going to get plenty of opportunities to show what she can do. So even if her future isn't in Dallas, let's say she plays, plays well. And at the end of the season, you know, they make a move, bring in a more veteran player in the back or whatever, and there's no longer the space for Lou. I think Dallas is going to give her the opportunity to showcase that she can play at the WNBA level. And it's going to be an opportunity for her to stick around in the league because I just, the fact that she stepped from Fairfield, which to UConn, which don't un- over or don't underestimate. Yeah. Don't underestimate how big that leap is. That's <laughs> You can make an argument that that's a similar leap as D2 to D1 or something of that nature, or even a similar size leap from UConn to the WNBA. If she can just pick up and continue doing exactly what she did at Fairfield at UConn, then I don't see why she can't just pick up what she was doing at UConn. And even if she does half of that, as a rookie in the WNBA, that's a really good rookie season. And that's going to be enough to get her on other teams' radars if she wasn't there already and to prove to the rest of the league that she can still play. I mean, look at Crystal Dangerfield, rookie of the year as a freshman or as a rookie, obviously, ended up getting <laughs> cut, but she hasn't had trouble finding places to play. Ironically, now she'll be in Dallas with Lou Lopez Seneschal, but whether or not the future for her is in Dallas, I think this is a really good opportunity for her to at least showcase what she can do. Yeah, I agree with that a lot. I think the biggest part of fit for a rookie year is just someplace that you're going to be able to contribute 
right off the bat. And I think that's the case, like you said, for her in Dallas, which I think is important in terms of things change so much in the WNBA in the off season. So just showcasing that you have what it takes at the next level and you'll get picked up elsewhere if it's not a long-term play role in the place that you're drafted. I'm also really excited to watch her and Maddie Segrist play together. I feel like that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. The vibes on that team are crazy because you have Crystal, one of my favorite players to talk to and interact with and cover coming through UConn. Maddie Segrist, who I think very much checks off the the mental makeup side of things. Lou, also one of my favorite players to cover. Then you got, you know, just Enrique Agumboa. <laughs> yeah, who also, very different vibe. <laughs> I will say, I was talking, uh, this is months back, with a couple of the UConn beat writers who said that Enrique was actually, or and even still might be, I don't know her personally, but is just was a super nice, super kind, uh, very respectful kid before in high school and then went to Notre Dame, met Marina Mabry and was not the same after that. But at least Marina Mabry is gone from that team. Yeah, (laughs) there's at least that. So (laughs) she'll be interesting. But yeah, no, I think it's a it's a fun backcourt in general. So it should be interesting to watch. Yeah, I think. There seemed to be a pretty good consensus that Lou Lopez Seneschal was going to be a first-round pick. Certainly not the same with Dorky Uhas. Some mock drafts had her going in the first round. I think I even saw one that had her going before Lou, which I am not a mock draft person, but I it's a bold take. Some had her first round. Some had her, you know, outside the first round that don't necessarily go beyond the first round, but ends up going 14 overall to the Minnesota Lynx. And I think it's the type of thing where, yeah, it's nice to say that you were a first round pick, but it's probably better to end up in a good landing spot. And Minnesota is a good organization. seems like there's going to be a chance for her to make the roster. It's not like there's a huge roster crunch there. It's not like they have this well-established core that is impossible to break into. We've said the entire time that she's been at UConn that she's got all the tools to be a really good player. And she was a really good player for UConn this year. She wasn't a great player. She wasn't that top five pick in the WNBA draft like Gino predicted she would be. But I can see Dorka being a good WNBA player and Minnesota seems like a really good spot for that to happen. Yeah, I think she's going to have, a, again, a really good opportunity this year. And that's really what you're looking for in a, in a rookie season is, is there an opportunity for her to to make a roster and to contribute? And I think there is, like you said, Minnesota definitely kind of in a rebuilding state at this point. I think they missed the playoffs last year. From yeah, yeah, that's how they got the picks or their, their top four pick or whatever. So, yeah, missed the playoffs. Last year, I think they're in search of some depth in the post now that Sylvia Fowles has retired and Nafisa Collier is obviously their, their building block there, but they need some pieces around her. And they they had two picks in the first round, but the one they used later on um, is a international player that I don't believe is going to play in the W this season. So I think that opens up an opportunity for Dorka to, to kind of on a roster spot and help them add some of that depth in the post. And I think it's going to help that she spent the season playing alongside Oliar Edwards and has shown that kind of can 
play alongside another big in the post like they're going to need her to do with Nafisa in that lineup. So I think it's a good fit for her overall. Like you said, not a big roster crunch there. They're trying to rebuild. They're going to be looking to add young pieces that fit what they need. So I, I like her opportunity to to make the roster there. And I also think her, the way she plays would really fit in well with a bench piece, a, a lower tier role player, because she really improved her passing this past year and can pass out of the post. That three-point shot really seemed to click as the year went on. She's mobile. She's got a good sense of where she wants to go. If she's not, if she can get some help on defense, she can be effective. She can get her hands on passes. She can block shots. She's not necessarily the best lane defender in the world. And I think got a little exposed at times this year, but you can cover that up. So it's not like she's this high volume player where she's got to get her touch every single time down the court. I think she could just really fit in. And if they say, you know, we don't need you to post up or anything, but rebound pass out of the post and stretch the D step out. And if you have an open shot, take a three, I think that's something that she can succeed in. So it's all about the consistency with her. If she plays consistently, she is a high, high level player. And the only problem is when the dips that are there, they are really deep valleys. Yeah, exactly. I think that she's going to have to find some consistency in training camp and then throughout the season. Cause I think that's the other important piece. I think she's got a really good chance to make a roster right now, but you've also got to look towards the future and staying in the league. And I think, you got to prove something this season to to help you be able to do that. Right. I think Megan Walker showed that just because you're on a roster doesn't mean you're guaranteed to be on one in the future <laughs> or guaranteed to continue to get jobs in the WNBA, even during training camp. Exactly. On that note, that is going to do it for the women's basketball section of this podcast. If you're interested in the men's basketball segment, just hang on. We'll be there in a second. If you're not, thanks for listening. My last note before we sign off from the women's basketball portion is if anyone from Zagreb is listening, I have had pictures of the city on my monitor since we were talking about it earlier, and it looks very pretty. And I would like you to send me photos of Zagreb. So (laughs) in the off chance that anyone from Croatia is listening, please do. On that note... UConn men's basketball is the 2023 national champions. And that still feels insane to say. Yeah. I just still honestly don't know that it's set in. Like, I know we were there. We watched it happen. I still don't know that I've fully processed that it happened. I still don't really understand the how of it. Like, they again, they won the national championship. And no one even came close to beating them. We didn't even have to sweat it out. I mean, we did. Because... I have an unnecessary level of anxiety about every single game. But yeah, they they put the walk-ons in in every game. So, so for any rational fan, it wasn't even close. Someone had the list of the players that finished every national championship with the ball. And it was like Talik Brown, <laughs> Jeremy Lamb, Ryan Boatwright, Andrew Hurley. <laughs> like... <laughs> There was like a big mess where it was hard for them to make to put their subs in because it, it was almost like the refs didn't believe that they were actually putting their walk-ons in. And they were. <laughs> yeah. Insane. Really insane. 
every single game of the tournament the walk-ons played in. That's yeah. nuts. What do you think about it? I think the part that like still doesn't make sense to me is going in, my mindset was okay, you just you gotta win a game. You gotta beat Iona both for to prove that you can win a tournament game and to not send me over the edge. So <laughs> beat Iona and then we'll go from there. And then Iona shoots the lights out in that first game. And then they flip that switch in the second half and just take it to Iona. Then they play St. Mary's and it's like, okay, this is a tough team, but I really think they should win this game. I, I, they got to win this game. You get to a regional this year. That's a really good stepping stone. And they beat the crap out of St. Mary's. And it's like, okay, well, Arkansas being an eighth seed, I'd like to win this game, but you're in a regional, you know, you've made it this far. This was a really big step. And then, I mean, that is like an all-time UConn men's basketball performance against Arkansas. I, I don't know how many games they have played better than Arkansas. It was a complete and total beatdown from start to finish. They killed them in a way that I have not even seen UConn systematic, UConn women's basketball, I should say, systematically destroy teams in the same manner that UConn men's basketball obliterated Arkansas. I mean, it was a UConn women's basketball esque, well, it was a UConn women's basketball as tournament, but specifically that performance was unreal. Yeah, that was insane. I feel like that's when it started to be like, okay, could they maybe actually win this all? Because I don't think I really went into the tournament actually thinking that they were going to win a national championship. I had them like winning my bracket because I know nothing about men's basketball. So I was like, we'll just put UConn all the way through. But I think once they like beat Arkansas in that way, I started to be like, okay, you get through like Gonzaga, can you, they can probably actually win a national championship. Yeah, I also had them winning in my bracket and I also did not actually believe that they were going to do it. <laughs> I, the one thing they got to the elite eight and I still actually didn't believe at that point because I was like, all right, elite eight, that's a really good season. All this team's been through, like all we've been through as a program the last few years, if it ends in the elite eight, like I'll be disappointed, but I can live with that, especially to a program like in Zaga, a player like Drew Timmy, I I'd be at peace with that. And then they just I was very much prepared. Yeah, yeah. I was prepared for them to lose to Gonzaga. I was like, okay, that might happen. And like, it's a good season still. Mm -hmm. If they lose to Gonzaga, I was like, and at that point, I think we already knew like a couple of the teams that were going to the final four. So it was like, all right, if you beat Gonzaga, you could win it all. But like, it would be totally acceptable to lose to Gonzaga. And then the way they beat Gonzaga was literally insane. (laughs) Just killed them. It wasn't even close. It it, it like wasn't even. It was close for like a half. For a half, ah. it was close. I, I remember was... still being stressed at halftime, which probably means they were up by like twelve, and I was just being ridiculous. But <laughs> right, that's the crazy thing is you know to jump back to the championship game, San Diego State gets within five. That's two possessions that need to go poorly for UConn and perfectly for San Diego to tie this game. Three to take the lead. Most national championships the score never gets past five in either direction and yet like we're having a meltdown because the other team finally got within five but i still laugh at people that complain about the drew timmy fourth foul because like first i don't know maybe you shouldn't have thrown your forearm into andre jackson unnecessarily and second (laughs) i didn't realize drew timmy is so good that he would have single-handedly erased a 35 point deficit like yeah he's good he's not that good he was not having a good game 
that's ridiculous. You could make those kind of arguments. I mean, honestly, you can't. In general, I don't believe in like blaming games on the refs because a lot of things have to go wrong to lose the game. It like, it is what it is. But also, yeah, like you can blame games on the ref when it's a five point game, ten point game, not when it's a thirty five point game. <laughs> like that doesn't yeah. no. <laughs> like it was. There was a point in that game. I I can't remember the exact moment. But you could see, oh, oh, there it goes. There's Gonzaga's hope walking off the court right there. Yeah. It's gone. <laughs> and they just, they totally quit. It was done. UConn completely broke them early in that second half. So, yeah, Drew Timmy was on the bench. That doesn't mean that the rest of the team has to just up and give up. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, yeah. I think that game might be, like, the craziest game of the tournament still. Like, that they beat a team like Gonzaga in the way that they did. It's just still insane to me. Yeah, and then they get to the Final Four, and you'll look at those teams that are with them in the Final Four, and that's the point where I was like, oh my god, they're going to win the national championship. Like, like I my anxiety and stress that what everything that could go wrong will go wrong, and so, like something's going to blow up, was telling me differently, but like now that I have the clarity of hindsight, I, I can comfortably say that they got to the final four. I deep down, I knew they were winning that national championship and I knew it probably wasn't going to be that close and it wasn't. Yeah. I felt like I also kind of thought they were going to win it once we got there. But at the same time, I was also very stressed that they were going to lose to Miami and that David I's friendship was going to end when they got right off from yeah, Dallas. So, back to Dallas. <laughs> yeah. So backstory for people. Megan and I were both in Dallas. I did, I already had a flight from Seattle to Dallas in case the women made it and just decided to keep that flight so that I could go to Houston for the final four instead of trying to fly into Houston, which was like $500 more. So Megan and I agreed to drive down together. And then one of Megan's coworkers at her hoop stats, Gabe Ibrahim, Miami grad, Miami fan came with us in the car. So you can only imagine how rough a four hour car ride back to Dallas in the middle of the night would have been after UConn lost to Miami. Luckily, we did not need to experience that. (laughs) We did not. Gabe talks a lot more shit than I do, so it would have been much worse had it gone the other way. (laughs) Yeah, no, we were very kind on the way back. I think I almost feel like in a weird way the high after the Miami game was better than the championship because like they won and you still had this great thing to look forward to. And like, again, anxiety brain told me differently, but (laughs) UConn's been to four national championships, won all of them. And the one they're going to lose is to San Diego state with just a dreadful offense. I don't think so. I, the moment I saw San Diego State win, without even like reading anything, I was like, oh, they're gonna they're gonna beat San Diego State and this one's gonna be easy. So you had the excitement of the win, you had the next one to look forward to, whereas at least for me personally, the championship game was not that I wasn't happy, but I, I almost feel like I was a little more emotional because like, okay, that was amazing. The season's over, but then my brain starts thinking like, Oh my god, do you remember everything that we went through during the last days of the kevin ollie era my first college game or my first 
UConn men's basketball game as a student at UConn. They lost to Wagner. The second one I went to, I was they lost. Game. Yeah, they lost to Northeastern. I was there when they were going to overtime against Monmouth and Columbia. I was there when there were there couldn't have been more than five thousand people in Gamble for some of these games. And even when Dan Hurley lost to St. Joe's and it wasn't that close of a game, I was there for those dark ages. And yes, it was in the grand scheme of things, it was like five years. It felt a lot longer than that because it was so deep and it was so dark. And they were they weren't just like, you know, SpongeBob, the the quote, this isn't just darkness. This is advanced (laughs) darkness. They were not just bad. They were good at being bad and like i think it was very fair to wonder okay are they ever actually going to be a national championship contender again or is it just was calhoun the reason that this program was as good as it was and i hate the argument that ollie only won because of calhoun but there was still a very clear lineage there but Hurley had to rebuild this from the ground up from the ashes he is his own coach he has no ties to uconn and he did it in five years. He rebuilt UConn into a championship contender that wasn't even close to being knocked off in five years. It was it was awesome, and it it felt good to be a UConn fan that night. Yeah, I think part of my like stress, even when they were up by like fifteen, and all these games is like built from those awful years where like nothing good ever happened. And it was like if they somehow got a fifteen point lead in the game, they were absolutely going to give it away and lose. <laughs> just those games so, at Tol- yeah. Tulsa. Those games at Tulsa, they always just found a way to blow them. Oh my god, heartbreaking. We had to play yes. Tulsa. Let's just say that we had to play Tulsa. Yeah. <laughs> god. I'm so happy we no longer are in the American. I cannot express how much happier I am that we are in the Big East. How was Imagine, yeah, imagine saying five years ago, right? We didn't know we were going to be in the Big East five years ago. No, we didn't. That UConn would be in the Big East. Five years from now, UConn's going to be in the Big East. They're going to win the national championship. Bobby Hurley's brother is going to win it. And as they're celebrating, Bill Murray is going to be on the court hugging everyone. What a ride. <laughs> yeah. Truly. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Really insane to think about. When did we find out about the Big East? I can't like remember what year that it was. It was it was twenty nineteen, I think. It was okay. the last before that, the last year of the American. I remember I think it might have been Memorial Day weekend. That uh, sounds right. I remember I feel like I was like sleeping in and waking up to like a million Slack notifications and being like, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I I actually remember it vividly. It's probably one of the most vivid memories of my life. It tells you a lot <laughs> about my life. But I remember waking up and I, I had slept in too because it's like a Saturday or a Sunday, Memorial Day weekend. It was a beautiful day outside. I'm laying in my bed. I grab my phone and I have like a few weird texts from people like, is UConn really going to the Big East? And it's not like that hadn't been a rumor. Like John Rothstein would tweet something like that, like once a year. And it was like, uh, okay. And like, it was a thing on Twitter that people wanted to move back to the Big East, whatever. And it was this weird, like website that had reported it that I'd never heard of before. have never heard of since and still couldn't tell you what its name was. And it was like based out of Boston and it was the one that broke the news. 
And like, I, I remember responding to people like, I don't know, like that's been rumored for a bit. I'd be surprised if like this guy has it. And then Mike Anthony dropped the bomb that it was real. And I was still laying in bed when that happened. <laughs> and that's when it went from uh, maybe to, oh my God, I need to like get up and start like working immediately. And thus began like quite possibly the craziest week of my life. <laughs> yeah just oh, thank god we're no longer in the american <laughs> no i think one of the things i remember most is our blog numbers were on steroids i've never seen them <laughs> that high like consist like every single story was getting like five to ten times more views than it got normally maybe more than that like it was a crazy amount of views i think we shattered like every single traffic record that week that we ever had because and it wasn't just like the the new stories that we were putting out were getting a lot of views we were linking into every other story that we do so like i i had like the percentage down of the number of people that were clicking on those stories because that's how much traffic they were still getting like (laughs) stories that had come out a week ago were getting the we're getting what would be like a great day of traffic the day it got published like a week later it was it was insane did i write i might have written the story that they were coming back to the big east i don't i don't remember those details but yeah we were we were trapped in the american the the basketball program i mean it's not like that first year with dan hurley was that you could see the progress but we didn't know what it was going to end up in and even I remember Andre Jackson's freshman year. I'll hand up. I'll be honest. I thought he stunk. I didn't understand why he <laughs> came in. I didn't understand why he was so highly touted as a recruit. I did not see it at all. I thought he was going to be just a total bust. And now, I mean, I don't think you can even describe Andre Jackson properly yeah. in words. Yeah, it's no, it's really insane. Like how fast the turnaround was from, like this team isn't even going to sniff the NCAA tournament to winning a championship. Even to this, this past year, they lost Tyrese, they lost RJ Cole, they lost so many pieces off that team, but they basically brought back the core, which was Andre Jackson, a unproven, you know, positionless player, Adama Sanogo who, while good, had his flaws. And then Jordan Hawkins, who had shown brief flashes as a freshman, but never really put it together. You were going to rely on those three guys to go win a national championship. And then some dude that you got from San Diego and a freshman who played public school basketball in Connecticut and a guy who was at East Carolina and some middling guard from Virginia Tech and some generic looking white dude who was like your third best recruit previously. Like those are the guys that are going to lead you to the national championship. I, I really, Dan Hurley said at one of the coaches shows that I think this is going to be the most talented team I had at UConn. And immediately in my head, I was like, Oh buddy, you are so full of shit. I saw who you lost. I know who you're bringing in. Don't give me this. Do not like you could pull their leg. Don't try and pull my leg. I, I know what the deal is. And uh, turns out Dan Hurley knows more than I do. <laughs> yeah. No, if you told me in like before the season started in November that this team was going to win a national championship, I would have told you you were absolutely crazy. 
the Nuts did. win a national championship. Oh, just go scorched earth on everyone in their path. Yeah. <laughs> That too. It got within five, and we were losing our minds against San Diego State. But that was still such a gulf for San Diego State to overcome because there was no one on San Diego State that could like single handedly take over a game, start hitting shots, and all of a sudden it looks like a different game. They didn't have a Jordan Hawkins or a Joey Calcaterra type that would just yuck it up from three and they would start falling. And it turns out the team that did have Jordan Hawkins hit that three, made it an eight-point game, and I think we all breathed a sigh of relief from there. Yes. Yeah. I remember that moment specifically because – or no, that was the first game that we were looking at change of – to change flights when Miami made their run. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, this is a good story. So (laughs) both of us were booked on the same flight back from Dallas on Sunday. No, Monday, because, you know, the women's championship happens on Sunday. You fly out the next day. Men's championship is obviously Monday night. So the men, they were up at what a good bit, like 15. Yeah. They were in a point where it felt like they were in control. So it's a timeout. And I go on American Airlines and I'm like looking, okay, what are the options for flights? And there's the same flight we're on nonstop back to Hartford. It's only like 70 bucks more to switch. So I, I show Megan and I start telling her and then the game starts and then immediately Miami goes around and it gets close. I was like, oh my God, if they lose this, I will never <laughs> forgive myself because it'll be directly because I started looking at flights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, we have to put that away. We can't talk about that until this game is over. <laughs> they pulled it out. They figured it out. Luckily. Yes, they did. Yeah. <laughs> and the flight was still only $70 more after the yes. game too. Yes. And then another funny story from our final four journey is next day. How much sleep did you get? Because I think I got like three hours that night after. Yeah. I like how much sleep I got that entire weekend isn't entirely questionable. It's not a large number. (laughs) That's fair. Well, either way, Megan and I then have to wake up and drive back to Dallas because it was prohibitively expensive to try and switch a flight out from Houston. So we drive back to Dallas, nice little four and a half hour jaunt in almost pure silence. Cause we're both exhausted. Then you had to like get your seat. Uh, oh yeah. Assigned. So I had to like walk over somewhere and I came back and I'm like, Oh, did you get your seat assigned? And you were like, yeah, I'm 14 C. I looked at mine 14 B. So we just got to spend literally every single second of that day right next to each other the entire time so miraculously you did not attempt to murder me at any point (laughs) yeah and also in complete silence on the way home on the plane because the second i sat down on the airplane (laughs) i fell asleep and i did not wake up until we landed way back i was more in and out than you were but yeah i tried watching like a video and it was just one of those things where you know how in like movies or TV shows they do the the like whatever the camera trick is to make it seem like eyelids are closing that is actually what it looked like for me and I was like uh we're not going to we're not going to make it. We did not. Yeah. I sat down and was like trying to just look through my like photos from the weekend on my <laughs> phone to like post on Instagram and literally was like about to drop my phone because I was falling asleep as I was trying to do that so just gave up. The brutal part, and let this be a lesson to all of you if you change a flight, is I went to switch my flight and there were only those like premium seats that you had to pay to upgrade available. And it was like 20 bucks. So whatever. I have to pay $80 to change my flight. I can live with that. 
but there were only middle seats. So I picked a middle seat. Apparently, if I just didn't pick a seat, I would have ended up on an aisle or a window or something. So <laughs> if yeah. you only have middle seats available, do not pick your seat. Because the worst thing that can happen is you end up in a middle seat and you don't have to pay for it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I did not pay for a seat and ended up in a better seat. Correct. The downside is you had to sit next to me. So <laughs> you win some, you lose some, I suppose. <laughs> But yeah, I, I just, I had, I ordered a magnet for my car and it came in today and I, it still looks weird. 99, 2004, 2011, 2014, like these, these <laughs> years that just those, those four numbers mean so much. And now 2023, that is just nuts. My shirt still has not come. It still says it's processing on Fanatics, which is stressing me out because the size I want is now sold out. <laughs> no, I'm worried I'm not going to get it. Oh, that would be very annoying. I wasn't, yeah. I didn't love any of the championship t-shirts, honestly. I got the the home field one because I thought that was the one I liked the Ooh. most, the like, gray home field one. But I ordered it on Fanatics instead of direct from home field, which I'm now regretting. I got one. It was like, it said 2023, like national championships, kind of small up in like the left corner of the front. But then on the back, it had every single game in the score. And I was like, oh, oh I really need a shirt that tells everybody how badly they killed everyone <laughs> for eternity. I like that. <laughs> so That's a good one. And the, the magnet, of course. And then all the yes. stuff I brought home from the final four. Yeah. Still waiting to find that bucket hat online. For less than dollars, <laughs> yeah. they had yeah, a wonderful the bucket charge. hat. Oh, painful. Yeah, <laughs> but I know that yeah. was that... absolutely worth the four-hour drive each way and the yes. hundred odd bucks I spent on merchandise. Yes, and the the lack of sleep that I got all weekend. <laughs> yeah, that's what the off season's for. Yeah, we, we <laughs> that's sleep. why I took us. A two weeks to record this podcast because we've both been asleep for the last two literally, weeks. Literally. <laughs> there were a couple times last week where I was like, I mean, like, I probably have the time to, but do I have the mental capacity? <laughs> nah. <laughs> Not really. Yeah. It was one of those things like where we got only... to... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I think the only thing I did outside of, like, my normal day job that was productive last week was watch the draft. Yeah, I, it got to Thursday and Friday, and Thursday I sat down at my computer and I'm like, okay, well, nothing's going to happen today. I'm just going <laughs> to give up while I'm ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> the crazy thing is, like, can you imagine... I mean, we probably couldn't have pulled it off if the women made it. But like, even if the women got to the elite eight, and there were there was another two days to cover, because I feel like because the women lost so early, it's been a much I don't know smoother, easier transition into the off season. It was abrupt, but like, I, there was still a little more of a transition instead of just it being over and being totally burnt out and exhausted. If I was as tired going like to Dallas as I was after the Bridgeport regional last year. I think I might still be asleep. Yeah. 
I think I like benefited from not going to regionals this year. So I hadn't been like running around like a crazy person for two straight weeks, only like one straight week. But agreed. Had the woman had made it, it would have been harder. Because I was still covering the, the championship, but I definitely had lots to do because UConn wasn't there. If UConn had been there, I, I feel like I would have just made it work, but it would have been very exhausting. I think I probably would have too, but yeah, I would have finished my preview at like 3 a.m. in the morning or something. Like it would have been. Yeah, to be fair, like that wouldn't have been that different than what I did. I just would have been writing a preview instead of like at a bar (laughs) until 3 a.m. in the morning. So like, yeah, Yeah. I would have found a way to make it work. (laughs) Well, also, they could have lost in the they could have lost (laughs) in the semifinals anyways, and that would have made things a lot easier to begin with. But look, if there was a year for UConn to lose in the Sweet 16, I think this might have been it. Yeah, it didn't make our lives easier. So at least there's that. (laughs) Because also, like, not only when are the men going to be there when the women aren't, but when are the men going to be that? Or like, when is it going to be the same state again? When's it even going to be fathomable to go between the two of them? Exactly. Like, may never be again. So. Yeah. UConn women's basketball died so UConn men's basketball could live <laughs> died is a strong statement I'm sure they're going to be right back in Cleveland assuming they don't have 500 injuries well yes the 2023 2023 UConn died yes. so 2023 <laughs> UConn could live yes <laughs> that's more the but yes yeah so Anyways, that's that's talking about ba- men's basketball on chasing perfection. Do you have any uh, last thoughts on the five-time champion UConn men's basketball team? I don't think I do. I just I'm still I think a shock. I think the like the five years or six years leading up to it have been so down that it's still kind of unfathomable that they won a national championship again. I definitely need to rewatch the yes the well like I need I think I need to see highlights from like every game again just to refresh myself but I really need to rewatch that entire championship game because I was so I stressed it. yeah yeah it it wasn't oh man they're 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 doing this they're doing that it was okay they're down two nothing okay they're down five nothing okay they're coming back okay like this that like it was it was play by play. I was not able to think about how well the offense was running, uh, how their defense looked. Like I noticed that San Diego state, they lost a game where the other team didn't miss like 20 consecutive shots and didn't score a basket for like eight minutes. And I like, I don't know the only, I never thought they were going to lose when San Diego state got it within five. I just started thinking about how horribly painful it would be if they did lose. And that was much scarier. So. Yeah, I also need to rewatch the game because I feel like I didn't really process anything that actually happened in the basketball game during it. It'll be I a new it. thing to watch. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've seen the 2014 National Championship game. <laughs> I've watched that game a lot. <laughs> I I watched the highlights the other day. And it's a little bit of whiplash because our seats were opposite the camera view. So oh, yeah. what happened going left on the court for us happened going right so like 
one of the threes that Joey C just pulled up and drilled like, or it was like an early first half highlight that I got all thrown around because I was like, no, no, I thought it happened over here. And then I had to re frame myself. Right. So yeah, it's, it's on the to-do list. Very important. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I used to rewatch the 2014 one every time I felt sad about how bad we were. It went all those years. So I've seen it a lot. <laughs> so this one will be a fun new game to watch. <laughs> the Jim Nance call at the end of that is like one of my favorite UConn announcer calls. And going, I don't remember if it was the semifinal. It might have been the, no, I think it, it was one of the games. Like that call just kept repeating in my head. And I was like, I swear to God, if this is my brain taunting me, and they don't <laughs> win this. Um. It is a little disappointing that his championship call this year was lame, but we were there. Yeah. So like it, the in our uh, championship call of just a bunch of people screaming was a little bit better. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So there's that. Yeah. So anyways, that is going to do it for <laughs> both this episode of Chasing Perfection and whatever the men's basketball edition of this podcast is called, we will be back with our next episode when our next men's basketball episode, when the men are coming off back-to-back titles, <laughs> having won the 2024 championship in which Adama Sanogo wins. No, not Adama. Donovan Klingon follows up Adama Sanogo by winning final four most outstanding player. But until then, I think we will take a hi- hiatus. However, for all we know, Rose, White, and Blue could be back this summer. Uh, we can discuss that later <laughs> yes. off air. But the yeah. podcast as a whole will be uh, off for the next couple of weeks. But when we get back, we will likely be discussing a recap of the season eventually and then looking ahead more in depth to next year. So anyways, thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. <laughs>